Thank you, Pastor Dave. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, my better half, uh, Amy Mang. That was awesome. It is great to be with you guys today. Even if it's over the airwaves, uh, it's still a joyful opportunity. I'm so thankful. If I'm honest, though, I am looking forward to the day when we can all be in the same room together again. Aren't you? Like by 2025, we should all be here together again. I, I'm kidding. In, in Jesus' name, I'm going to say it's going to be sooner than that. I'm going to hope it's going to be sooner to that. And we will, I mean, can you imagine that day when it finally comes? We are just going to be celebrating mask-free, hugging whoever we want, high fives. It's, I, I, I can't wait for it to come. Uh, you know, we were supposed to actually be here the last week of December. And unfortunately, our family was impacted by this COVID-19 madness. Um, but like Forrest Gump says, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. No, it was just Amy and I. Our, thankfully, our girls didn't get it. I'm very thankful for that. Um, you know, we're in a great season with our kids. They're doing well. My oldest, Sydney, is 12, and we're at that stage where we kind of get to share things with her that we've loved in our life. The other, day, the other morning, I had this experience. I walked in, and I saw her sitting on the couch reading a book. And I said, what are you reading, Sydney? And she said, I'm reading The Black Stallion. And she was so into it. And that was a book and that, that series of books that I just loved growing up. And so it's so fun to, to watch her start to experience and love the things that I loved once. I think what, what throws me, though, is how, like, literally everything comes back around. You know, like, do you ever find yourself walking down the street and you look at a young person and they're wearing the thing that you thought you had left behind in those awkward days of your youth? Have you had that experience? Like, why are they wearing that? But it like, it all comes back around. The music comes back around. It just, it all makes its way in in again. Case in point, um, uh, like last year, I shared with Sydney one of my favorite movies growing up, The Karate Kid. I mean, who doesn't love The Karate Kid, right? You've got the protagonist, Daniel, Daniel San, as as Mr. Miyagi lovingly calls him. Uh, And then you've got the, the, probably the best villain of the 80s, Johnny Lawrence over there and the Cobra Kai and they meet and you know Daniel San does the crane kick. I mean that part I had to kind of explain to Sydney because you, you watch that and you go that would never work and it's like I know Sydney but you just have to kind of hold on to the disbelief you know and uh, but but it's crazy that sh- that that movie has come back around through a show. Have you seen it, uh, Cobra Kai? But what they did was they totally swapped who the protagonist and the antagonist were. Like, so instead of Daniel being the protagonist, now he's kind of like the villain. And Johnny and the Cobra Kai are the good guys. They're the protagonists. And it totally changes the whole story. It, it makes you think way differently about, about Johnny and Daniel and even Mr. Miyagi and all that happened. Uh, and, and so it's just crazy how that stuff just comes back around. But, you know, the, every great story has the protagonist, and the antagonist, you know, the good guy and the bad guy. And it's funny because I think real life is often the same way. You know, Jesus in the Gospels was absolutely, without question, the protagonist, right? And um, the antagonist, I would say probably in terms of the supernatural, was Satan. Uh, but in terms of, like, human beings, uh, the, the, those, the, the antagonists of Jesus, uh, time and time again in the Gospel— are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. I almost feel like there should be some sort of audio version of the Bible where every time it says the Pharisees, it should go dun-dun-dun after, you know, because that's how they're presented in the Gospels. They are just constantly coming up against 
Jesus and what God the Father wants to accomplish through him. And uh, it's no different today. We're, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke today, uh, starting uh, uh, chapter 15, verse 1. And um, I'm going to read just chapter 15, 1 and 2 for you. It's going to be on your screens as well. Here's what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Um, I know that sounds like something positive that the Pharisees are saying, but believe it or not, they mean it something, they mean it very negative. So their, their tone of voice there is, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to be uh, going further into Luke chapter 15 today, and we're going to be looking at one of the parables that Jesus tells uh, over and over uh, again throughout, throughout the, the, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He is giving these examples of God's interaction with us through these stories called parables. And we're going to be in one of those parables today. It's the, the parable, parable of the prodigal son. And you might be familiar with it. I think it's one that many of us are familiar with. Um, and it's probably one of the most beautiful and elaborate of the parables. But, you know, the thing about the parables that I find really helpful is to always look at the context that they come from, to always understand why Jesus is telling the story. And so this parable today of the prodigal is Jesus is telling for one reason and one reason alone. And that is that over and over again, the Pharisees just don't get it. They don't get what it is that God is trying to do in the world. They don't get the point of the scriptures. They don't get the point of God's miraculous uh, work throughout the history of his people, Israel. They do not understand what it is that God wants to accomplish in them and in the world. They completely miss it over and over again, as evidenced by that statement they made about Jesus, God's Son, the Chosen One, the Messiah, the Rescuer of Israel, the Rescuer of the world. That statement, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The fact that they would cast that as an accusation, as an insult toward Jesus, demonstrates that they do not understand what it is that God is doing. And that is why Jesus tells this parable of the prodigal son. And I think it's so important that we keep that in mind when we're, when we're reading this story today. Because it is, it's a, it's a beautiful story. It's an inspiring story. But Jesus has something very particular in mind when he's telling it. So let's jump into the parable. It, it begins in uh, verse 11 of chapter 15. Jesus tells a couple of amazing parables uh, before this, and then he gets to the, the closing piece de resistance that, to, to illustrate to the Pharisees what he so desperately wants them to see. And it's, it's always been so interesting to me that, you know, Jesus could have, could have ha- interacted with the Pharisees in lots of different ways, you know, to try to help them understand what it was that God was doing. I mean, he could have debated with them. You know, he could have um, argued with them for hours and hours. He could have done many things. But in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he chooses to tell these parables. And, and, and the gospel writers almost present it to us as like a judgment that God has against the Pharisees. That, that, that because they can't understand God and what he's doing, Jesus tells these parables. And it's, it's up to them to try to figure it out. But the Pharisees unfortunately don't. But we're blessed because these have been passed on to us. And, and, and my hope for this morning is, um, and I know this is the reason Pastor Dave invited me to speak on this particular 
section of Scripture. My hope for this morning is that we don't miss the lesson that Jesus so desperately wants us to understand. We don't want to be those that are included in the judgment uh, that, that Jesus was, was, uh, was directing toward the Pharisees through these parables. We want to be the ones like his disciples who take the time to understand what he was actually saying. So that's my hope for us this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Now there's no question that this son uh, is the type of son that we all hope we never have to deal with. Am I right? Like, unfortunately, uh, I don't know what your experience has been, um, but I think it's, it, 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 it's often, the, this son often represents the way many of us tend to struggle and the direction we tend to go in our lives. He does not value his father and the connection that he has with his father. He just sees his father kind of with dollar signs in his eyes, you know, and he, he's desperate to get that inheritance that will be his, and then he takes it off and goes out into the world and wastes it away on himself and his selfish desires and the, the sins of the flesh, the scriptures would say, and, and, and all the things that, that are meaningless in his life. And he finds himself in the uh, pen with the pigs. You know, I don't, probably, it probably doesn't matter what culture of the world you come from. I think every culture understands that's a bad place to be. You know, to be in the pen with the pigs, responsible for feeding them, um, and find yourself starving, thinking to yourself, ooh, those pods that the pigs are eating, those would satisfy me. Uh, not a good place to be, and, and every place in the world understands that. But for, for God's people, the Israelites, I mean, pigs were considered unclean animals. So when Jesus is, is sharing this moment with the Pharisees, they are grasping, this young man has reached the bottom of the bottom. I can just imagine the people listening to Jesus' story in that moment that were Israelites just kind of, you know, being filled with, uh, with nausea at the idea of being trapped in this pen with the pigs and desiring their food. And, and, and um, thankfully, the son comes to this, this rec recognition, this place of recognition, like, you know what? I don't have to do this. I can, I can, I can turn my life around. I can, I can go back to my father's house and things will be different. I mean, uh, thankfully, whatever he's experienced growing up is with him in that moment in the pig pen. And he recognizes like, ah, I don't have to do this anymore. I don't know what your life has been like and what your experiences have been, but my life has taught me 
that I could easily be this young man. I mean, I think at, at different points in my life, I found myself there. Really, any of us could be in this position, right? This story of the prodigal son could be about any of us. We could, each of us has had our journey, has had our experiences. Maybe you've never found yourself in a moment like that, like in the, the pig, st- you know, sty, just there, uh, responsible for feeding the pigs. Maybe you've never had a moment like that in your life. I, I've, I've had some similar experiences. I've found myself like just uh, in places that I never thought I would be, you know. And maybe your story is like mine. Maybe you're one of those that just, you know, kind of had to experience the bottom of the barrel to get turned back around. Um, if you are, there's no shame in that. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's the good news, right? Like, like God, God is willing and able to embrace us and bring us back from that place. Now, maybe your life hasn't been like that. Maybe your story is a little bit different. I, I've, uh, growing up in the church, I've had so many friends who, like, who never really struggled in that way, you know? Um, and they, they would always kind of have this, like, this embarrassment about sharing their story and their testimony because they felt like, well, you know, I was never, I never had that experience. You know, I was never addicted to drugs. I was never, you know, a functionally alcoholic. I, I, I never, you know, I had this experience or that experience. So I, I'm embarrassed to tell my story. And, you know, it, it, here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you've never found yourself, you know, at this kind of a moment. The, the, the bottom line is, regardless of what your journey has been and, um, whether you grew up in church and kind of have always been walking with the Lord. The bottom line is, regardless, right, every single one of us has at some point in our life chosen to disconnect ourselves from God for some reason or another. Maybe the disconnect is not this gulf where we find ourselves starving and homeless and desperate for food. Maybe the disconnect is, is a little bit different than that. Maybe the disconnect is just a, a distance between us and him saying to ourselves, God, where have you gone? Um, maybe it's, you know, ending up in a relationship that, that, is, uh, that is causing us to, to question whether we have good judgment in choosing who we choose to be in relationship with. Maybe it's a, a, a friendship. Whatever it is, whatever the experience is, all of us at some point in our life have disconnected ourselves from the connection with God that we are created to experience. I mean, that's the story of Scripture, right? From beginning to end, the story of Scripture is the reality that we as human beings have disconnected ourselves from God. And this, this, this son out in the middle of nowhere could be any of us. Could be any person in the world. The question is, do we come to our senses and go back to where we belong? That's what's so amazing about this young man is he, he's, he's in that place. He's, he's lost. He's got nothing going for him. He's, he is at the lowest of the low. And he says, you know what I can do? I can go home. I can go back to my father. And that's, that's really the defining question for each of our lives. Like when we get to that place of disconnect, when we get to that place of being uh, apart from God in the way that we're intended to be, in the way that we were created to be, to, to walk with him, like Adam and Eve walked with him in the garden. When, when, we, when we are out of that place of connection, 
Do we recognize that he is a safe place to return to? Or do we try to keep doing it ourselves? This young man says, I'm going to go home. Now, it's interesting though, right? The way he kind of frames it in his head, he's, I won't go back and be a son anymore. I'll just go back and be a servant, a slave, a hired hand, because they got it better off than I do. So, so he decides to return home. And, you know, the, the father's response in this parable is so beautiful. I'm, I'm not going to read through the scriptures today because we're, we're limited on time, um, but I encourage you to do so. And, and you're probably familiar with the response, right? While the son is still far off, the father sees him coming and, you know, breaks open the, the doors and rushes out and sprints out to where the son is and throws his arms around him and welcomes him home. And the son gives his speech about, you know, God, I've I've sinned against heaven, or Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven, and, and I, I'm not worthy to be your son, but I, I was just hoping you would take me back into your household as a servant. And the father stuns the son and says, no, I'm just glad you're home, and I'm going to throw a party for you and welcome you home, right? I mean, what a beautiful picture of the heart of God toward his people, right? Like if, if you were to, to, to say, what's the, what's the one moment of Scripture that really helps us understand the way God loves us as his children, this could be one of them, right? This, this father that sees the son. He's just, it's like he's just waiting for his son to come home, right? He just can't wait for his son to return. And before the son can even get back to the door, the father is rushing out and demonstrating his love for the son. I mean, what Jesus is really illustrating to us in this moment is that when, it, when, it, when all is said and done, what God really cares about when it comes to you and I is relationship with us. What he really cares about is knowing us. He will, he will stop at nothing. That song we sang this morning, right? He will, he will stop at nothing because of his reckless love for us to, to, to bring us back to him. I mean, all he's looking for from his son is just some evidence that he's interested right? And, and, the, and the son demonstrates that through returning home. And that, that's, that's such a powerful illustration of the love of God, that, that he will embrace us. And walk, like, throughout our lives, all he's looking for from us is just a little bit of, of recognition. There's a, there's a famous line in a movie that I, that I watch where uh, the wife says to the husband, you had me at hello. Like, that's all it took from him was a hello. And then she was fully back into loving him again. I think that's how it is with God. Like, God, we had God at hello. That's all it takes. I think, though, what happens to us in our lives is we doubt that. We doubt that or we've never even known that about God. Right? We have this misunderstanding about God. And then our experiences and shame and, 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 and all that comes in our lives kind of teach us some, as if the opposite was true. That God is not interested in us. That God, you know, God does not love us. That, that we're not worthy of God's love. That, that somehow we have to earn his love through, through our behaviors or through, you know, our right choices. And that, that, but, but the message of this parable and really the message of Scripture is none of that is true. God, we had God at hello. And all he wants to do is throw his arms around us and love us the way he does this son that has returned home. I don't know. It, it, I think sometimes, like, it can help us 
understand God's love if we can experience that from someone in our lives. Have you ever experienced that kind of love from a person in your life? I think it's, it's really what God intends from family. I wish all families were like that, don't you? I wish all families were a place where people experienced love in the way that God intended it to be. I think if, if families were like that, many more people would, would have the connection with God that's intended. Ultimately, that's what church is for, right? That, that's what God created. One of God's intentions for church is for the church to be a place where families are shaped and taught how to love each other like that. I, I know for me, like when I was at some of my roughest moments in my life, um, my dad demonstrated love like this to me. It wasn't through what he said. It wasn't through, you know, anything other than the fact that at some of the lowest po- moments of my life, he made me feel like he wanted to be there with me. Just made me feel like, son, I want to be there with you. He wanted to be with me, even when I was at the lowest of the low. And what that taught me is that I didn't have to do anything to earn my dad's love. I didn't have to earn it. His love was there for me. I just had to receive it and embrace it. And that's what the father in this parable is demonstrating. And, and I just, I know that I know that that is God's heart towards you and I. Like, we don't have to earn it from him. It's available to us. That's why Jesus came and walked the earth and did all that he did so that every person could realize that, that God's love is there for us. We had him at hello, and he just wants to love us in that way. If, if that was the purpose of this parable, it would be enough, right? It would still go down as like, wow, man, that, that story changed my life. But that is not ultimately why Jesus is telling this parable. Uh, Jesus is telling this parable to answer an even bigger question, which is why do the Pharisees not understand this about God? Why do the leaders of the chosen people of God, who he has lavished with his love in a way he has no other people in the world, why do those Pharisees and teachers of the law not understand God's heart of love toward people? How could they miss it? Because that's really the bigger question, isn't it? How could the people responsible to help others experience God's love in this way completely miss it? That's the question. And that's what this parable is about. And to understand it, we have to look at the other brother, the the brother who doesn't uh, go away in this parable. And so let's pick it back up in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never, even gave, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But what we had, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Do you 
hear what the brother is saying? Do you feel what he's saying? Have you ever felt this way in your life? I think one of the most amazing things about this parable and this character of the older brother is how well the response of the older brother replicates our human responses so often, right? That, that jealousy, that sense of not getting what we're due, that sense that life should be fair. I mean, my kids, I, the number of times per day I hear, that's not fair. Uh, it, it, it literally is shocking to me. Uh, but, but like, that's human nature, isn't it? We just think that everything should be fair, that everything should be earned, that, that everything should be given based on our, like, like, pay me for what I did, you know? Um, that's, our, that's our expectation. And, and, and so really, like, this brother's response isn't, it, it, I, I, I empathize with the response. Don't you? I think maybe to really understand where Jesus is going with, our, with this parable, we need to be honest with ourselves and see that. I think a lot of times when we read through Scripture, we want to see ourselves as like the good guys in the story, right? Like, and, and in a lot of ways, I already said, hey, we're all the prodigal, right? We're all the prodigal. But in this story, Jesus has something different in mind. He wants the Pharisees to see that they're like this older brother. And I think, as painful as it is, he probably wants you and I to understand that a lot of times our reactions are like this too. And see, this sentiment, this feeling that says, like, like life should be fair, we so often, we apply this to our spiritual lives too. I mean, we, we know that, that that goes against the message of the gospel, but at the same time, isn't it frustrating to think that we could, do, we could do everything that we can for the Lord? And yet, the, the, the reward that we might receive might not be any better than the person who squanders everything they have and then just returns to him. Right? And see, when we think that the message of this book is about righteousness and earning that righteousness— we missed the boat. That's what happened to the Pharisees. They assumed that the message of the Old Testament, that the message of God's law, the message of the Torah, the message of the commandments, they assumed that the, mes- that the message there was, do these things so you can be right with God. That was never the message at all. Never at all. But when you and I begin to think that that's the message. And it happens so easily. It's such a slippery, slippery slope, isn't it? Like, like literally some of the, the things that God created to teach us about his love can begin to cause us to make our way into that horrible place. Like that, that, that sense that our righteousness is something that we earn. Like, and, and the moment we start to think that we earn our own righteousness— that we earn our rightness with God, that somehow his love is something that he gives to us because we've done everything he told us to do. The second we get into that way of thinking, we are completely missing the point. And, and we have gone astray. And we are walking down a path that Jesus desperately wants to turn us around from. 
I mean, that's why he's telling this story. He wants the Pharisees to understand that that way of thinking is outside of God's purpose and God's plan. It's a detriment. And sometimes church, you guys, sometimes like, like the, the fact that we're here week in and week out, the fact that we give generously to what God is doing, the fact that we, uh, we care about God's rules and God's laws, and we look out there at the culture around us and we say to ourselves, what is wrong with these sinners? You know? That it is so easy, isn't it, to slip into that place that says, We've got it figured out, and they don't, and God give them what they deserve. Isn't it easy to get into that place? And that's the purpose of this parable. Jesus wants us to understand that that way of thinking does not reflect the Father's heart. That is not how God is thinking about the world around us. That is not how God is thinking about us. God cares so much more about connection with you and I and the people of this world. Listen to how the Apostle Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse, verses 8 and 9. And, and today I want us to think about this, these verses in light of relationship with God, in light of connection with God. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Like, that connection with God, it's like this pipeline with him. The relationship that he's inviting us into. And and the pipeline begins with his grace, which is just this free gift of his love that he gives to us. His love that can wash away sin and transform us into something new. He gives us his grace, and our response is faith, is believing in him. And and the connection between grace and faith, it's like this pipeline of 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 a flow between us and God where things are made right with him. And, and we, are, we have to constantly be in that flow, don't we? Like we have to position ourselves day in and day out in that place. And notice the way Paul says it. That is what saves you. That is how you're made right with God. That is where righteousness comes from. It's through that, that connection with God that is solely based on his grace, his unmerited favor toward you and I that we have not earned at all. But the second we think we earn it, we can start to boast, right? And that is what has happened to the Pharisees. They have lost sight of what God has done for them, and they think that they've done it for themselves, so much so they don't even think they need God anymore. They don't even think they need him. And see, we could so easily slip into that kind of thinking. I mean, it's so easy to find ourselves in that place where God just basically becomes to us the one who rewards us for our good works. Like, thank you, God, for rewarding me for how amazing I am. It happens so easily to us. But what what Jesus is trying to remind us of through this parable is, hey, listen, you deserve death. You deserve pig food. You deserve distance from God because that's what you chose. And, And we have to remind ourselves, don't we? Like, the best thing you and I can do is to remember who we really are. Remember who we were before God got a hold of us. Remember that all of this came because he loved us, because he first loved us. Jesus is telling these stories because the Pharisees said, how could Jesus spend his time with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors? And Jesus is saying, I spend my time with them 
because they are the ones that need to know of my love for them. And Jesus is going to stop at nothing to make sure that they know his love. See, the bottom line is this, right? Righteousness is not earned. Salvation is not earned. Rightness with God is not earned. It's given to us. That's a, it's just a gift that God gives, and he doesn't withhold it. He doesn't you know, save it for only those that earn it. He wants to give it to everybody. Nobody's earned it. Nobody in the history of the earth has earned righteousness. But God wants to give it to all. And all we got to do is come home. But we don't want to be the brother standing over here. Like, (laughs) you left. You know, now you think you're going to come home and get what I've earned all these years. We don't want to find ourselves in that place. See, because what God cares about more than anything else is that connection with him. And you and I, what we need to do, instead of worrying so much about rightness and fairness, let's just position ourselves in that flow of God's grace and be thankful. And then out of that, listen guys, like out of that grace and that faith comes right action, comes righteousness, comes, you know, acts of service, comes generosity. All of that flows out of that place. But more than that, when we find ourselves like doing life day to day with the perspective that we are nothing except through that connection with God, then we look around at the people around us in the world that don't have it, and we are desperate to invite them into that connection. That's what Jesus longs for in us. It's like the older brother, the response should have been, yes, my brother's come home. And my father's throwing apart. The, the older brother should have been out there running to greet his brother with his father. That should have been the response. And that's why Jesus told this parable. So that you and I get, like, if we ever find ourselves with an attitude like that older brother, something is off. And where it's off is in our connection with God. That's where it's off. we got to get back to that flow of intimacy and connection with him. It's like what God wants more than anything else is for us to see our job as climbing into his lap and letting him wrap his arms around us and fill us with his goodness and his righteousness and his presence and his ways and his words and his commands. And when we get to that place and stop thinking that it's like about earning it, then we can have the impact on the world that he wants us to have. Amen? Let's pray together. God, we really aren't worthy of your love for us. We really aren't. I pray that that would sink in in a fresh way today. That like, we don't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. And yet, God, you love us so passionately and so desperately and so recklessly. And so like, like this, this, this moment of this father bursting out of the doors that is reckless love, God. And, and, and we can't, we, none of us is worthy of that. And yet, that's the love you have for us. And we need, we need to live in that place of recognition, God. Every moment of our lives, we need to be blown away by that reality. But that your grace, your grace is, is poured out on us, us undeserving sinners. And we need to celebrate that you are the God who sent his son to find the sick and to make them whole.
to, to find the, the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes. And, and we need to see ourselves in that crew and in that group. May we never lose sight of that, God. May we never become so holy and so righteous that we lose sight of the importance of your love and the importance of our relationship with you, God. Remind us of that afresh. I, I just pray, pray for an awakening of that, a new and afresh in your church in 2021, in your, your church across the world, God. May we stop being self-righteous and start being righteous. May we uh, seek you like never before and let the, the waves of grace wash over us so that we can invite the world into that kind of connection with you, God. Do it, we pray, in amazing ways in us and through us and all around us in this year ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.